This morning's message is titled, Calculated Risk. I guess the first thing I should do if we're going to start talking about calculated risk is what is risk? Well, the risk is really the probability of something happening. It's usually used in a negative sense, um, like, you know, what, what's my risk of, of climbing a, a sheer cliff face and not falling off? Well, the probability is, is, is pretty high that you would, if, especially if you don't have training. And um, so, therefore, the risk of that, it's a very risky activity, um, even for experienced rock climbers um, and mountaineers, it is a very risky activity. So the risk is very high for something like that. So it's the probability of something bad happening um, when you undertake a particular activity. So the first thing I need to do with this message is to lay a foundation. Um, in some ways, it's going to feel a bit like a training session at the start, but it's important ground for, groundwork for when we apply those principles to us spiritually. So I do have a little bit of experience with risk management and, and risk in general. I've worked in a few different state government organizations and there's a whole heap of risk and, and uh, looking at risk wherever you work. I've been a, a workplace health and safety officer and all of the incidents and um, everything like that are all rated by risk the likelihood it's going to happen, and everything like that. Um, I have overseen um, in my directorate at work at Main Roads um, a portion of, of the workplace health and safety system, including working out and correcting risk ratings for different hazards and incidents. Um, I've gone through risk management training um, at least once, and I'm pretty sure more than once, um, and put together the Northside Pentecostal Church Risk uh, Management Policy, which is a real page-turner if you ever get the chance to, to look at that one. Um, tongue firmly in cheek there. Um, and in my current role, um, I have uh, automated um, a, a risk uh, register and, and that sort of thing. So, um, so I might have a, have a little bit of knowledge about what I'm talking about this morning. One thing that I've learned is that everything that we do every single day has an element of risk. For example, going outside the front door has an element of risk, and even more in the society we live in today. Crossing the road is an action that contains a large amount of risk, even more when we don't look in all directions before we start that crossing. Using a computer for long periods of time every day is a risk, especially if you're not set up in an ergonomic way. RSI, or repetitive strain injury, has affected the risks of many people over many years when using computers and not being in the right um, attitude um, in, in terms of, of how your body is positioned. Using a mobile phone is a risk. Beyond the chance of dropping it on your foot... There have been many studies on the psychological and physical effects of using a mobile phone, especially when it is used excessively. Even tying your shoelaces has an element of risk. You might laugh, but beside the possibility of your hand slipping off the laces and hitting a chair, I know of a professional footballer that suffered a severe knee, in knee injury while tying up his shoelaces. 
He needed surgery and it kept him out of the team for months. So tying up your shoelaces has an element of risk. In fact, everything, absolutely everything we do has an element of risk. Something unexpected that could happen when we try to do it. So what am I advocating this morning? Staying at home in bed every day in a protective bubble with no contact with the outside world? Sorry to disappoint some people, but no, that's not what I'm saying this morning. There are some severe risk factors with that approach as well, not least mentally. So even hiding away from the world has a risk factor. So do we walk around being scared of shadows? No, not that either. Because while everything we do has an element of risk, that risk is usually so small that we can disregard it. The possibility of something unexpected happening has an, that has an impact on us is so negligible, has so low a probability of happening, it can be safely ignored. Even higher risk activities can usually be relatively safely negotiated. Well, what do I mean? Well, let's look at a perfect example of an activity that has a high risk attached to it that most of us do every day, and that's driving a car. When you're driving a metal or plastic box at speeds of up to 110 kilometers per hour, if you're following the, the speed limits, with other metal or plastic boxes traveling the other direction at the same speed and only separated by a white line on the road, there has to be a huge amount of risk. Even cars traveling in opposite directions at only 60 kilometers each would collide at a combined force of 120 kilometers per hour, which is really dangerous. It only takes one small misjudgment for a serious crash and severe injury, even death. So how do we manage that risk? What do we do to make sure that that really high risk is not quite as high as it could be? When everybody is trying on the road is trying to do the right thing, the risk is reduced to a much smaller amount. The statistics show that there was an average of 6.2 car-related deaths for every 100,000 people over the whole of 2021 in Western Australia. So 6.2 people died out of every 100,000 people, which is 0.000062%, which is a very small number, which doesn't sound like much when you consider the millions of trips people take in cars over the course of a year. Yes, even one person dying is a huge tragedy. But that doesn't stop the rest of us from driving each day without even a second thought about the risk. Hands up if you went into a car this morning and you thought, oh, this is really dangerous, I need to be very careful. <laughs> Some of us might. Um, and that's, that's more from uh, the way that we approach um, driving. But most of us, we... Um, we don't really take a second thought about that. We drive and we drive to the best of our ability. Why don't we take a second thought? Because driving a car is a calculated risk. And what do I mean by that? Well, there are two elements to risk. Daniel, if I could get you to bring up that table for me, please. Please don't be scared. I'm going to go through it. Um, it's only a table. Um, and we'll go through what it means. At the top right, one element is what the worst harm could reasonably be. It's either negligible, for example, stubbing your toe, 
minimal, uh, for example, a fall, critical, for example, severe injury or death, or catastrophic, for example, a tsunami or an earthquake or something like that. For driving a car, the worst harm is death or multiple death. So it's in the critical category. So up there, critical. That's one side of risk. The other element is the likelihood of that worst harm actually happening out of a list of either certain, likely, possible, unlikely, rare, or eliminated. For driving a car, the likelihood of death is possible. You don't control what the other person does. So it's actually possible that you could have an accident uh, while you're on the roads. You never know who the driver of the opposite car will be, whether they're paying attention, whether they're on their mobile phone. So then you take the critical um, column and then you take the possible row and then you see where they come together. So in this case, they come together at high. For driving a car, the risk is high. All the way from eliminated to very high, um, it comes, falls in the second highest category, high risk. So if it's such a high risk, why do we drive a car every day? It's because there are ways in which we can manage that risk. We can reduce the likelihood of the risk ever happening. For example, we can follow the road rules. We can drive defensively, not aggressively. We can treat every other driver like they're the worst driver in the world and take nothing for granted. That's actually a very good strategy because you have no idea what's going to come. And you can do things like not using a mobile phone while you're driving. That will also help reduce the likelihood of an accident. Those are all strategies that you can put into place. They're ways to manage the risk that reduce the likelihood of it ever happening. So now we've explored what risk is and touched on how risk can be managed in a natural sense. Why am I teaching this this morning? Why am I not somewhere down, down at, at a training organization teaching somebody else this? Well, the reason is that we can treat our relationship with God like a risk table. God has set out things in his word that he expects us to follow and obey. But they don't always sit right with what we want to do. On top of that, there are things that Jesus personally asks us as individuals to do that he doesn't ask of others in the church because of our backgrounds, because of our personalities, because of the way that we are. There are things that are not good for us to do that he asks us not to do or to do something different. That's part of our personal relationship with Jesus in pleasing him. He knows what is bad for us and what is best for us, even if it isn't sin as defined in the Bible. Sometimes he asks for more from us or asks for something to go that isn't healthy for us. But because we are flesh and we have our own wills, we choose to ignore part of what God has said to us in his word or said to us personally. Sometimes we choose to completely ignore his word. And every day we make calculated risks based on the goodness of God. I'm going to disobey this. What is the worst that could happen? I'll make it right later. Well, the worst harm that could happen for any sin or disobedience, if, you, if we look back at, at the definition of sin, it's simply missing the mark that God has set. The worst harm is spiritual death. So that's pretty serious. 
But where we get messed up is when we work out the likelihood of spiritual death occurring. So we know what the outcome can be for any disobedience, any sin, any action that we do. But what is the likelihood of it happening? That's where we get it wrong in our minds. If I can get that wrist table just one more time, please, Daniel. We rate the risk of it happening really low down here towards the bottom. We rate it either rare or especially we rate it as eliminated. It doesn't come into play. It's impossible to happen. We, we, we rejected it so low that we eliminate it from our minds. Why? Because we think we have a fail-safe way to manage that risk. Just like driving a car, we, we follow the road rules, we treat everybody else like they don't know what they're doing. We, we have all these management strategies in place. We think we have a way to manage what we do. We know that God is a merciful God. And we can always come back to him afterwards and repent. We think that because God is good, we think that because God will always um, take us back when we repent, that that's our management strategy. We can do what we like just as long as we repent afterwards. We can follow him not um, just this one time. We're going to do what we want to do. And we're going to make it right. Everything's going to be hunky-dory, to use that very old phrase. And that may be true to a certain extent. God is good. God will always take you back. But human nature is to push for more and more. To push further and further. One time of our own willfulness and disobedience may not make much of a difference if we repent of it afterwards. It will always hurt God deeply. And it's a sign that not everything is right with your relationship with Jesus. But you can probably make it right. The problem is that the first time we give in, it starts to desensitize us to sin and disobedience. And that leads to a second time. After all, I got away with it the first time, and I still feel like I'm close enough to God. Still feel like we've got a pretty good relationship, God and me. And before you know it, you've entered a downward spiral. And you don't even realize how much your relationship with Jesus has been strained and broken. You don't even realize that you don't even have a relationship with Jesus anymore. We can be, we can fool ourselves so much. Thank you, Daniel. I don't think we're going to need that risk table anymore. You don't even realize you don't even have a relationship with Jesus anymore because you're always making it right later. You think that you're okay. Everything's fine. Everything's good. But if you have a friend that you continually disrespect and ignore, you no longer have a friend and you no longer have a relationship. John chapter 15 and verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue you in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Not in disobedience, not in sin, but in following his commandments. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And then Jesus says, you are my friends 
if. There's not a full stop there. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. There is no relationship with Jesus if we're not actually doing what he wants us to do. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord does. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you that you love one another. We are only the friends of Jesus. We only have a relationship with Jesus if we actually do what he wants us to do. For us to have a relationship, a friendship with Jesus, we need to be doing what he has asked us to do. Not sometimes, not when we feel like it, not when it doesn't clash with what we want to do, but consistently, consistently. The thing is, the more we disobey God and what he has asked us to do, or to try to only partially do what he has asked, that's, that's a big, that's a big uh, trap as well, the likelihood of spiritual death goes up dramatically. So that risk that we think that we've managed, it actually grows into rare, into, into um, un- unlikely, into possible, into, into even greater than that. Because the more we do it, the more likely that Jesus will return when we're not doing the right thing. The more likely that Jesus will return and we don't have a relationship with Jesus at all. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21 says, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in your name have done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Those people had done many things for Jesus, but they didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They chose iniquity. They chose to do the things that didn't please God. They chose to ignore what God had asked them to do. So there was no relationship. It was as if it had never existed. And last of all, the more we resist what God wants us to do, the more likely we will fall into false doctrine, be desensitized to sin, to think what we're doing is even right, to listen to Satan saying, Yea, hath God said? Did God really say that to you? Is that really important? Is that really in his word? I think it's got a slightly different meaning. Just like he did to Eve in the Garden of Eden. First Timothy chapter 4 and 1 says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. That's the sort of thing desensitizing does. It sears your conscience. It makes it so you don't even think about it anymore. It's not a problem. It's not an issue. After all, Jesus is unable to speak to us anymore. We are just ignoring him. So what is stopping us from going in the wrong direction? If we have a habit of just doing what we want to do, our own flesh, listening to our flesh, then what's going to stop us? Because Jesus can't speak to us. We're just ignoring him. 
So how are we going to get the right direction? How are we going to get the right, um, the right, follow the right path? And if you're not listening to Jesus, you're probably not listening to the pastor either. You're probably trying to avoid him as much as possible. And you're probably not listening to the preaching either, or at least just the bits that tickle your ears. So you're already making up your own doctrines, the things that only apply to you. The end of that process is never pretty. It usually ends up with you leaving the church and blaming everybody else and everything else except yourself. But when the problem is really in you and in your submission and in your doing what God actually wants you to do and has asked you to do. If I could get someone to the piano, please. Yes, God is a merciful God. And yes, He is full of grace. Yes, He will accept you back. But there's one thing about repentance. Repentance is supposed to be an about turn. A U-turn. It's supposed to be a change of direction. It's not supposed to be sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent. Some people are turning about so much spiritually that they'll be spinning in their grave, their spiritual grave. It's not okay to ignore or disobey or only partially do what God has asked you or all of us to do. That is a relationship killer. Each time it happens, you get a little bit further away. Each time it happens, you die a little bit more spiritually. Each time it happens, you get a little bit more desensitized to sin. It's time to stop the spin cycle now. The overall risk of disobedience, of sin, is actually very high. Not unlikely, not rare, because it's never a one-time thing. It's a path that leads to destruction. It's time to submit to Jesus and not to resist. It's time to renew your vows with Jesus. It's time to yield your will and do what he has asked you to do. You'll never be sorry. That is a promise. You'll actually thank him for asking you to do that extra thing or to take away that thing that was not in his plan because what he asks you to do will help you to grow to be more like him. You'll be able to feel that closeness to Jesus again. You will have a confidence that you've never had before in your walk with God. But it takes a commitment of pushing down your flesh first. Your flesh has to die. Your flesh has to be submitted. You have to say, God, it's not what I want but I know that it's for my good and I know that you have only my good in mind. Brothers and sisters, please don't calculate your risk about disobeying God because the risk is so high. The risk is so, so very high. It's a slippery slope. And at least to know we're good. So I beg and I implore you this morning. Just do what he wants you to do. Just do what he's asked you to do. Because, because the relationship with Jesus is greater than anything else in this world. 
And we can't afford to take chances with the only thing that will get us to heaven. I know the Lord's talking to some people this morning. It's not time to disobey. It's not time to go our own way and think that we're okay. We can just come back whenever we like. Because you don't know what's going to happen. And so I ask you to stand this morning. And I invite all of us to be at the altar this morning. You know where you are. Maybe you feel like you've been following Jesus. Okay, and that's good. Come and renew your vows right now because we don't want to miss out. We don't. We want to, we want to manage that risk by not doing it in the first place, by making sure we've got our commitment to Jesus in the right place. And so I invite you to come. Please don't ignore the tug of Jesus at your heart this morning. Just come. Present yourself before him and allow him to do a work in you because he wants to draw you closer this morning. He doesn't want to hit you over the head. He never has. But we need to align ourselves with him. He cannot align ourselves himself with us. And so please come, especially if you got something inside you that is just pushing away. Please come. Submit everything to Jesus because He loves you and He draws you close. And you can have that incredible close relationship with Him. Why don't you come? Bring yourself before Him this morning.